Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the newest episode of the Triple Play Podcast. I'm your host, Wyatt Street, joined as always by my amazing co-host. Guys, please introduce yourselves. Uh, Joshua Strickland. And Brad Kendall. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Eventually, you guys are going to run out of new ways to introduce yourselves. I was thinking that right now. I was like, Josh, there's no way you're going to one-up last week, and then all of a sudden I hear that. I'm like, shoot, now i got to come up with something on the fly. <laughs> I think I'm just going to look up, like, I think from now on I'm just going to look up random baseball nicknames and just use those. We should start using different languages. Actually, that's what I'm going to do from now on. That's what I'm going to do from now on, actually. I just announced it, so. I'm going to try looking up, like, how to say Joshua Strickland and Bradley Kendall in different uh, different languages, and we'll start going with that. Ooh, that could be good. <laughs> little Jose yes, action. I love it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> we've got a we've got a great show, a lot to discuss. We've only two weeks left in the season, which is crazy to think about. Uh, this playoff push is heating up, um, but we're gonna start. We're we're gonna get into the playoffs in a little bit. We got some interesting stuff to talk about, but some big stuff happened this past week in baseball. And actually, we're gonna date this a little bit. <laughs> Yesterday, uh, for the Cubs, Alec Mills throwing the second no hitter of the season against the Brewers had a, a very good performance. Uh, struck out five, walked three uh, within 114 pitches, and uh, just not overpowering, but good enough to keep the Brewers out of the hit column and keep a goose egg there. Uh, and another tidbit, this is the first season ever in which both Chicago teams have a no-no in the same season. As we recall, the first one of the year was Giolito for the White Sox guys. So, you know, a no-hitter, always fun to, always fun to see. Uh, your thoughts on this is Mills is actually an, an unlikely guy. I, I didn't even know who he was until yesterday. Yeah, I, I think the bigger, the biggest aspect about this is just the story behind it, just because uh, Alec Mills was a walk-on guy at University of Tennessee Martin, and now here he is as throwing a no-hitter on uh, on the NFL debut day, the first day of NFL season, which I, 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 I'm directing that directly to ESPN because that's all ESPN talked about pretty much. They were just like, he did this on the NFL opening day. And I'm like, why does that matter? But anyways, uh, <laughs> it wasn't dominating. You were correct. He only had five strikeouts. Um, he didn't have a lot of, he didn't have a lot of strikes, like non-contact strikes pretty much. Uh, but he, he got the job done. Like, you can't, you can't deny a no hitter as a good performance. So I'm, I'm just nitpicking at this point. Yeah. I think this says a lot about kind of where both teams in Chicago, like you said, why, you know, we've had two no hitters this season, one from the white Sox and one from the Cubs. Uh, this is really just kind of culminating, like two really surprised teams. I don't think we really expected the Cubs and the white Sox to be where they are at this point in the season. Um, I think this just kind of culminates and reaffirms what we've seen kind of, kind of developing all year. Uh, great to see, you know, two guys, Lucas Giolito, first one, um, you know, no one really expected that at all. And then obviously Alec Mills, we, again, right there with you guys, unless you play fantasy baseball religiously, even if, even if you do, you probably still don't know who this guy is. Um, like you said, walk on to Tennessee Martin. Um, he only had five swinging strikes all day yesterday, which I think they said was the second least all time in a no hitter behind Dallas Braden. Uh, in the live ball era. So uh, dude's doing it in a very unconventional way, but uh, really cool. I was reading a lot about him and how when he first came up, obviously it took a long time for him to get where he is today. But uh, Jason Hayward's been kind of the one big guy that's kind of stood along him uh, throughout the course of his journey to Chicago. Um, and when he was uh, in the sixth inning, you know, when the game was really just kind of out of hand, uh, Jason Hayward told uh, their manager explicitly, I'm not coming out until Millsy comes out. And of course, we didn't see him come out the entire game. So just a really cool story. A nice little tidbit during the NFL uh, starting day. Again, don't know why that <laughs> really mattered too much, but yeah. it was cool. Again, seeing a guy that ESPN, no one knew about <laughs> on a sport that really no one was paying attention to, all of a sudden we get a no-hitter. So kind of random, but really cool. Yeah, a 22nd round pick. Uh, always really cool. And that's something to think about too. It's like the weird year we've had this year with the draft getting reduced this season, he wouldn't have even been picked this year. Right. So like, it's really cool to see a guy that late, not only make it to the bigs, but then achieve something like this. You know, I, even if his career, even if this is just a, one of those fluke moments for his career, kind of like Dallas Braden's perfect game, because that's literally the only thing he did in his career really. Um, this is still a great story that he gets to, to tell and he's already etched his name in the history books. So that's really cool to see. And going back to the strikeouts, the uh, five strikeouts are the fewest and a Cubs no hitter since Ken Holtzman had a, a total of zero in his no hitter against the Braves on August 19th of 1969. So, um, not many strikeouts, not overpowering, but at the end of the day, you don't need to be overpowering. You just got to get outs. 
and that's what he does. That is called pitching to contact right there. That's exactly what that is, and that's that's what you want. I mean, you know, the Brewers have been such an up-and-down team this year. Um, they got him in a really good day, and you got a guy now in the back end of the rotation that's capable of that. Um, sort of a lot of what you know you see guys like Kyle Hendricks do on the Cubs. You see him pitching to contact a lot, You know, not trying to really strike a ton of guys out, but doing it in a way that – uh, is deceptive and also uh, gets guys out. So um, really good to see. And, you know, if this continues, I, I see right now he's like five and three on the year. Uh, just another, you know, team looking in the postseason, uh, what they're going to have slated, having a guy like Alec Mills that is capable of doing something like that. That's a pretty nice luxury to have. He had 10 ground ball outs, by the way. Yeah. So pitching to contact. That's the kind of stuff you love to see. And if you're the Cubs, you definitely got to feel a lot better about that moving forward uh, as we get into this playoff push. And then once they get – into the postseason. Um, but we'll move on now to a historical milestone that recently happened as well. Albert Pujols hit home run number 660 for his career, uh, which ties Willie Mays for fifth all time. Uh, and you have to think within the next two weeks, Pujols is going to hit at least one more home run this season and take sole possession of that all-time fifth spot. Um, but a uh, fun fact here for, for Pujols is he's also the only player ever to have 660 or more home runs and doubles, uh, which is really crazy. Um, and Pujols has homered against 429 different pitchers. Uh, the guy he hit it off of uh, was his 429th. And that's second only to Barry Bonds with 449. Um, so before we, I, I do have a question I want to pose, but before we get into that, let's just talk solely about him getting to fifth, tying Willie Mays, guys. This Incredible accomplishment uh, and, an, and an amazing career. Truly a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt, I believe, for, for Pujols here, you'd have to say. So, you know, just an incredible accomplishment, guys. Your thoughts on this? Bradley, we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I think it's it's awesome to see, uh, especially because this year's, obviously, in the last like couple years, has been just a real struggle for him. Um, he's like, only has like three home runs on the entire season. Um, he actually had his second longest streak, I believe, since like 2014 of um, not hitting a home run, so a homerless streak. Um, so it's good to see he at least knocked this out before the end of the year and not have to have this kind of sit um, sit on him over the course of the next offseason. Um, so great to see. Um, you know, I think he's really going to have to uh, continue to produce like this, you know, for the Angels to really have a really realistic chance. Um, but obviously a, a huge milestone. Um, earlier this season, he passed A-Rod for second most in RBIs all time. So uh, a great a great season historically. And for a guy that's 40 years old, you know, you don't really know how much time is left. Uh, it's great to see we at least had this season this year for him to do this. Um, so he's going to need about, like, I think like a hundred home runs to catch Barry Bonds, um, going forward. So I don't know if that's in reach, but he only needs 36 to catch A-Rod for fourth all time, which I think is very, very doable. So we could see A-Rod being passed twice in the next year or so for home runs and for RBIs. Yeah. I was talking to, with Wyatt before we started the show today, uh, cause he brought this up and I, I mean, he has a real chance of getting 700 and if I were him, I would try to get 700 and then just retire. Cause that's just what I would do. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I mean, he's 40. He It's not been a great year for him. He's got a 237 average, which is okay. Uh, but, like, the past couple years, he's been riddled with injuries and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's really nice. I really like Pujols. He, he's a fantastic hitter. He's one of the best hitters of this of his generation, um, next to Miggy and all that. So, it's really nice to see him get that uh, milestone there. Uh, and, of course, everybody's going to look at it and be like, okay, but are you going to get to the next milestone, which is 700? Um and it's interesting. It's an interesting question to pose because he'd have to play the way the way his home run trajectory has been going in his career. He would have to pay, play at least two more full seasons to reach forty home run, forty more home runs. And it's kind of interesting to see if he would could do that because you know still forty years old. That's usually when people are hanging it up. So it's interesting to see if Pulhos can you know play for longer than that. Lord knows the Angels are, he's still on contract with the Angels for like another 10 years or something like that. So he can probably do it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting you guys bring that up because th this is the question I wanted to pose. You know, next on the list is A Rod at 696. He's sitting there at fourth. And we all know four more after that is the 700 mark. So realistically speaking, Barry Bonds is sitting at top at six, 762. That's 102 away from where he is right now. That one seems out of reach, but theoretically it is kind of possible. How high on the list, realistically, do you guys think Pujols can get? 
Do you think he can get to 700, and how far above it do you think he could go, realistically speaking, before he decides to hang it up? Because keeping in mind, like you guys have mentioned, he is 40, and if you look at his home run numbers, since he hit like 31 or so in 2016, they've been dipping. Yeah, I I don't really see it. Honestly, I'd be shocked if he even passed A-Rod. I know it seems like it's realistic, but for a guy that's 40 that's been injury-riddled, that's on his ninth year of his contract, um, you're not only going to have to play another whole year, but you're going to have to have a team pick you up, which, you know, someone's going to take a chance on Albert Pujols, of course, but are they going to play him enough to be able to have him reach that milestone? Um, he's been in a great situation where he can just keep playing on the Angels because really they have no one better to stick in there. Um, so I, I really don't see it. Um, you don't see many guys, like you said, play into their 40s, uh, let alone produce at that kind of level. So hitting, you know, 20 home runs a year uh, would be a huge achievement for him. And I just, I don't think I see it over the next few years. I mean, the past three years, we're, we're, I'm not going to count this year because obviously 60 games, so it doesn't count as a full season. But uh, he probably wouldn't, he's not on pace to hit 20 home runs anyways this year anyways. But uh, his past three seasons, he hit 23, 19, 23. So 20 is doable, but once again, he's going to be 41 next year. Uh, I think next year might be his last year of his contract. I don't know his full contract details, but uh, I mean... It, it it's a stretch to say the least. I think he probably he probably plays at least one more year, maybe gets twenty, so he might get to like six eighty, and that that'll probably be it. Yeah, it's tough to say. I feel like I feel like next year is really going to be the telltale year because if he has a good year, is able to put up like twenty twenty five homers, you know, he might come back for another year and then try to push for seven hundred or at least try to get past a rod and get the uh, six ninety seven. Um. But if he comes out and has a rough year next year, can't stay healthy or just can't put up the numbers and only able to hit like 10 home runs, then I think you might see him hang it up. And I think a lot of that could hinge on the contract details, which, again, I don't know. I haven't looked it up. Um, But to be fair, like even if he has to go to another team, like he's Albert Pujols, like you said, like someone will definitely take a chance on him. And at this stage in his career, all he needs to do is just go to another AL team, someone who could use a DH and just DH. Right. Like that could be the easiest way for him to do this as well and try to avoid injury because you're not playing him in the field, which I know first base, it's harder to get injured because you're not doing as much movement. But still, Um, so it's it's interesting to see. I mean, realistically, as high as I could see him going is maybe just getting over 700, like 701 or something. And then and that's it if he's able to put together a couple of good seasons. But that's going to be tough. I that's going to be really tough. Yeah. And you could definitely possibly see him do like a farewell tour kind of like Jeter did where he just, you know, after his contract runs out, he says, I'm just going to take one more season and see what happens. And who knows? Like you said, there's probably an AL team out there that'll put him in DH just because. So uh, it's possible. But again, that's assuming he doesn't get hurt, which we've definitely seen that happen. So a lot kind of has to go his way. Dare I say the Texas Rangers? Ooh. Dare I? (laughs) Or you could even see a team like the Mariners. How about the Boston Red Sox? You know, possible. Kind of get those ticket awesome. sales in some way. God, the fact we're talking about Boston trying to get imagine, sales. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, imagine they're struggling. The scene of Pujols in a Red Sox uniform and Fenway hitting home run number seven hundred over the monster. Oh, that's video game worthy. That would be pretty cool. Over the monster. I I, I just don't see it happening. I think I think he retires after next year, at the very least. But you know, modern medicine. He could he could prove me wrong. I mean, Tom Brady's still playing quarterback in the NFL, so you know whatever. <laughs> yeah. Or or you could possibly see I him mean, in, in Greenville if he gets hurt doing a little uh, mini monster home. There run. we go. That'd be that'd <laughs> be a good one. I want to write. <laughs> Just count it for major league home run. It's okay. He's our pools. Give it to him. It's <laughs> it's it's fine. <laughs> we'll make the there exception for for the machine. Yeah. All right. This uh this next segment we're hoping doesn't take forty minutes, um because Josh uh and we're just gonna we're just gonna hand this one off to you to start, buddy. Okay, uh, this past okay. week the the Atlanta Braves they put up twenty nine runs in a game against the Miami Marlins. They won that game twenty nine to nine. And no, that's not a football score. No, this was not the Atlanta Falcons playing the Miami Dolphins. This was the Atlanta Braves and the Miami Marlins playing a nine inning baseball game in which the Braves scored twenty nine runs. Um. Which is kind of frustrating because they couldn't get they couldn't get to the satisfying thirty, but whatever. Uh, and in said game, Adam Duvall hit three home runs uh, for his second three home run game in eight days, 
And I think, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, that makes him the only Brave ever to have multiple three home run games, not just in the same season, but in his entire Braves career. Uh, and Josh, yeah. let's turn this over to you so you can just go crazy on the Braves. Like, what do you, what, what to make of all of this? Well, I wasn't aware, actually, so thanks for, for letting me know. I, I didn't, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, of course. <laughs> I just want y'all to know this past week has been a roller coaster. After I made those hot takes last week on this, on this show, uh, <laughs> The Braves immediately went out and lost two out of three to the Marlins. Now that one was the twenty-nine to nine, but we lost a series to the Marlins, and then uh, Max Fried went on the IL and just you know it, it was a, it's a roller coaster of a week. Uh, then finally we have our lineup put together like the perfect lineup where Ozzy Albies is batting ninth. Because that's how good our lineup is, and then Ronald Acuna got hurt, but he's back, so it's fine. Uh, it was a crazy game. Like, that's really all I can really say. And this is, that game was insane to watch. Because first off, the Braves, the Braves scored like seven, I think, in the second inning. And then uh, Tommy Malone, our great trade (laughs) deadline acquisition, gave up like seven runs. (laughs) But the Braves played so well that Tommy Malone pitched five innings, even though he gave up like ten runs, not ten, but they gave up like eight runs in five innings. So he got to pitch a full five. Uh, it was just insane. That's really all I can really say about it. Uh, about Adam Duvall, I mean, he's better than Babe Ruth, so obviously that he's going to do amazing things like that. So, uh, what a what a game, though. You know, it's honestly funny because when I was listening to the game and just listening to parts of it, it was so many runs that I would get to a point where I would refresh my page and they would score four more runs out of nowhere. <laughs> so it literally, <laughs> the onslaught was just on. <laughs> And it the incredible part that I just didn't even think about until my buddy uh, mentioned it. He's like, the Marlins have scored nine runs. Like, that's not bad. <laughs> but they're still down. No, by not at all. So on a normal day, you scored nine runs, you win the ball game. Oh, about 98% of the time. You're nine times out of ten. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, like, Josh, you mentioned it. Like, across the board, the Braves were just hitting extremely well. And I think that's great to see because, like you said, there's been injuries here and there. It's been hard to get everyone on pace at the exact same time. And while you did lose the series, you know, you hope that some of this can at least bleed into the next couple of days. And I kept thinking, of course, the Braves are going to get shut out the next day because that's just baseball. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it would have been nice to yeah. see him hit 30. I know the Rangers did it a couple of years ago to set the record. But, uh, yeah, I don't feel bad for the Marlins. I mean, again, the offense did its job. You just got to pitch better. <laughs> I don't feel bad for them because they they took two out of three. So they, they, they got what they needed. So, um but this NL East, this NL East just in general, I know we're going to talk about this later with the, the playoffs later, but the NL, the NL East is getting sneaky good here in a little bit because Miami and Philly are both neck and neck right now for second place in the division. And uh, the Braves, I think the Braves play the Marlins one more series and then they play the Mets and stuff like that. So, I mean, the NL East is getting very interesting. Yeah, there's a, a lot of really tight playoff races, and we will get into that in just a moment. Um but I think the the crazy thing about this too is like what gets overshadowed with this Atlanta twenty nine run thing is that that same day the Brewers piled on nineteen on the Tigers, and the Tigers are thankful that this happened to the to the Marlins because nobody talked about that one because nineteen runs is nothing compared to the twenty nine that Atlanta scored. I actually didn't know they lost by nineteen or whatever. I didn't know they lost by that much until like the morning after, and I saw like the scores. Yeah, I did not hear a single peep about. It. Now, to be fair, I follow mostly Braves people, so I don't know why I would hear a peep about it. But I'm just saying. It, it's funny though the um, the entire time, like throughout the game, like going back to what you said, Bradley, where you refresh and then suddenly there's four more runs. It's like I I just love I was like I was on Twitter the whole time, well, not the whole time, but like through for a good portion of like especially that run streak where they were just piling them on, and I would like see see a bunch of tweets and I'd like okay close Twitter, bring it back up five more minutes later, and then it's like. Oh yeah, a whole lot more tweets about like the next ten runs they scored, and I was like, oh, here we are. Uh, but I gotta give a hand to the Marlins social media team; they handled this spectacularly with the just amazing, hilarious tweets they put out. Uh, <laughs> and they had like a, some fun interactions with the Tigers uh, as well uh, because of what was happening in both of those games. So that was really cool. Um, they they made the best of a bad situation there, uh, but definitely an amazing. An amazing game um, to, to see Adam Duvall hitting three home runs, 
probably, you know, not the, not the guy on the Braves you would have most expected that from, but here we are. Uh, so good on them. And now that we're gonna, we've mentioned it, let's move on now to the playoffs. And before we get into the teams themselves, there's an interesting proposal here, not yet officially finalized. Uh, but it's it's just waiting on the final approval. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is this is going through. Uh, there, the the proposal is for playoff bubbles. Uh, we haven't done a bubble all year long in the majors, but now when we get into the playoffs, playoff bubbles. Uh, the first round games will still be at the the uh, home parks for the four higher seeds in each league. All three of those games in the first round. But then when you get past that, uh, basically what the proposal says is the NLDS will be held at Globe Life Field in Minute Maid Park both in Texas. The ALDS would be out in California in Petco Park and Dodger Stadium. Uh, then the NLCS and ALCS would be at Globe Life and Petco, respectively. And the World Series would be in Globe Life. Um, guys, what do you make of this bubble uh, proposal? Do you think this is a good idea? Is it kind of pointless when you haven't done it all year long? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Bradley, let's let's uh, kick it to you for this one. Oh, it's a fantastic idea. I mean, the MLB needs to at least do some sort of bubble, whether it's in the regular season or the playoffs. And I think they've realized now that they kind of messed up by not doing that. And thankfully it hasn't cost them anything, but you don't want to just use what you've seen working and just assume it's going to continue to work, especially as you get later in the year, things could change. If you can implement any sort of bubble, whenever you want to do it, I'd say you go for it. And it sounds like they've got a good plan in place. So I absolutely love the move. I think Manfred's finally doing something smart. Uh, It makes a lot of sense to do it for the playoffs because during the regular season, you can miss a couple games here and there and it'll be fine. You can just play a doubleheader later. The playoffs, however, you gotta you gotta tighten down a little bit. I mean, that's what the NBA did. That's the main reason the NBA went with the bubble uh, because it was just for the playoffs, stuff like that. Um, so it's a smart idea just for the playoffs. Um, however, I, I I find it kind of interesting that uh, the NL teams get to play in the World Series stadium while the AL teams do not. So uh, that that's just an interesting like kind of thing because. What if you're like the Dodgers, you play in the NLDS at Globe Life Field, then you go to the NLCS, play at Globe Life Field, and then you play the World Series at the Globe Life Field, while the AL, that's basically a home park for you at that point, while the AL team could be from the West and they didn't, or or the East or something like that, and they never played the Rangers that whole year, and they're, they're not used to Globe Life Field. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting that they're using Globe Life Field so much. I guess it's just to kind of keep, keep it within Texas, because... NL is going to be in Texas, AL is going to be in California and stuff like that. But I just found that part interesting. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point you bring up there, Josh, because that's the thing is Globe Life, and I get why they want to push Globe Life because this is its first season. It's this brand new ballpark, you know. Um, But you make a good point because it it almost seems like there would be an unfair advantage to that. Uh, You get used to it, and then like you mentioned, if the, the American League representative in the World Series isn't from the West, then it's a team who's literally never played in Globe Life Field ever. Like this is their first time ever playing in that in that stadium, and now they got to try to get used to it on the biggest stage against a team that, at the very least, has played that previous series so in Globe Life. So at least four to seven games, and then if it's the the team that came from the Globe Life uh, NLDS series, then that's another three to five games that they've played in it. So they're used to it. Like you mentioned, it's almost a pseudo home, home, home series. Uh, so that could be, that could actually kind of swing things. And I don't know if that would be enough to like win a world series perhaps, but it's definitely something that could give you an edge. Yeah. You wouldn't think it would impact it too much. It is good. They're at least using a team that probably isn't going to make the playoffs. I mean, I guess they're just assuming the Rangers are out of it at this point. So stick with that. Don't have any sort of like advantage coming into the playoffs, but yeah, that is an interesting point. I think maybe it's just so that you know they just limit travel as much as possible, and that's just the best solution they could come up with. Uh, you got to think there's some reason behind doing that because someone in, in Major League Baseball has to catch that. So there's got to be some reason they just haven't said yet, but at least they're implementing some sort of bubble. Yeah, I think it's a great idea because kind of like you mentioned, it's like you guys mentioned, it's one of those things you can afford to miss a couple games in the regular season, but. You gotta you gotta keep everything safe because you can't afford for a team to have a COVID scare for three days in the playoffs and then screw up the entire schedule. Cause you can't really do a game six and seven doubleheader in the NLCS for seven innings each. You know, you can't really do that. Um but it you know, every every and I think it's it's good that the teams are kind of together. Petco and Dodger, uh then 
uh, are, are kind of together. Um, Globe Life and Minute Maid are kind of together, you know. It, it, it kind of keeps it where you don't have to go as far. Uh, the biggest travel is the ALCS after that team wins. They got to go from Petco to Globe Life, but that's just one quick plane ride after you've been in the same place the whole time. So that's not too bad. Um, so I like I, it. Uh, I think this is a good idea. I actually think I actually think there might they might implement a kind of a mini bubble for these first round games. Just kind of like can't leave hotel or anything like that, which I mean they technically already can't, but you know stuff happens. Uh, but like just locking it down for this first round because it, mm-hmm. the worst possible scenario is that all these teams make it to these bubble locations and like one team is just ravaged by COVID because someone went and partied during the first round something like that. So there might be a little mini bubble action going on there at the different different uh, sites there. Uh, I think that's the only big question mark here is that that first round. But I think, I, I mean, we ha- we've had like what, like one positive test in the past two weeks or something like that. I mean, the Major League Baseball is looking pretty good so far on that front. Yeah, I think you're definitely going to see the rules get more strictly enforced and tightened even more. Uh, once you get to the playoffs, and especially for that first round, because that's when you're going to see newer matchups, teams coming from one part of the country to the other part of the country, crossing over for the first time, uh, because so far it's just been intra-divisional. Um, but yeah, once you get past that first round, it's just those bubble sites, and that makes things a lot easier, for sure. Yeah, you wonder how what the uh, party scene is going to be like in these uh, in these locker rooms after guys really haven't been allowed to go out and do uh, do much. Uh, I guess you could say partying. Uh, they're going to be popping that champagne and going pretty nuts in the uh, in the dugouts. So Globe Life's going to not only have to host a lot of teams, but they're going to have to clean up a lot of things. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> That's going to be interesting too, especially that World Series celebration when it's all said and done. Those teams, those guys on that, uh, those twenty six guys on that roster are going to go absolutely bonkers. There's going to be no social distancing in that clubhouse whatsoever, and honestly, you can't really blame them at that point. Well, at that point, the season's over, so. Not a huge need to anymore. <laughs> doesn't matter. Does not matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but speaking of the playoffs, now that we've talked about the bubble and the sites and where these teams will be playing once they get there, let's talk about the teams that could be there. Because as it stands right now, we're approximately two weeks away from the end of this season. Uh, the playoff push is in full swing. We've got more teams in contention than ever before due largely in part to the fact that it's now 16 teams making the playoffs plus a 60-game season, so less time for teams to fall way out of the race, you know, or create that distance in the other direction. But there's still a lot of really tight races here. We are far from done uh, where things stand right now. But the question I want to pose to you guys is we look at the, the eight teams from each league, and as it stands right now, uh, which team that's currently on the outside looking in, not in the playoff, not in the playoff spot, do you think has the best chance to overtake one of those sixteen teams and make the playoffs? And Josh, let's start with you on this one. And this could be the the one team from either league; it doesn't matter. Well, I, I was going to come in here and say the Rockies, but then I took a look at the Rockies' schedule. So my main my main thing about the Rockies is you they had such a hot start. Uh, I have no reason for to believe that they couldn't get hot again here in the final two weeks and just absolutely like sneak into the wild card here. They're only one and a half games out at the moment. Uh, but then I looked at their schedule. Their next seven games, they got a three-game series against the Athletics and then a four-game series against the Dodgers. And I don't, I don't like their odds in those series at all. I mean, they they gotta they gotta take at least three or four of those games to still have a shot here in this wild card. So I, I don't know about Colorado anymore. I guess Milwaukee would probably be my my team, either Milwaukee or Cincinnati, because I think either of them could get hot at the right time and sneak in there in that last wild card spot. I also just don't think the Giant the Giants is a weird team for me, honestly. Like I, I don't I don't I haven't watched much of them, but they're they're in the they're in the playoffs right now. They're one game under five hundred at the moment. So I mean they're playing good base they're playing decent baseball, decent enough to make the playoffs. So, but I'm just not sure about them actually like sticking around for the long term. Yeah, I went with the Brewers too. I think the Central right now is is going to produce probably the closest race in terms of the wild card teams because, like you said, you got the Reds in there, you got the Brewers, um, and then you got the Cardinals who are not far ahead of some of these teams chasing behind them. Um, the Brewers are now two games back of the Cardinals in the division. Like you said, only one and a half back of the Giants. So if they 
somehow can't make it in the wild card. They've at least got a shot in the division, it looks like. Um, and the crazy thing is, you're talking about scheduling. The Brewers have not played a single game against the Cardinals the entire year. They have 10 games left out of their, like, 15 games remaining um, against St. Louis. Oh, wow. So plenty of opportunity to catch up in the division. Obviously, you could flip that around and say if they lose a lot of those games, they're effectively out of it. But some of those games that are yeah, not I against mean, St. Louis, they do play the Royals. So they've got some opportunities to win a lot of games. Um, they've actually never appeared in the postseason three consecutive years, so this would finally break that streak. Um, so if you're the Brewers, win every series. Um, you got to play better offensively. I did think it was funny that that uh, Tigers game where they scored 19 runs. Um, I was looking at the box score. They just tacked on four runs in the ninth inning when they were already up 15 nothing, just because. Um, so that's the mentality you're going to have to have the rest of the year because you haven't been over 500 the entire season, and you're going to have to do that to get in. So that starts with beating your team in your division, and you know, you got 10 games to figure it out. So I'd put money on the Brewers to do it out of anybody. Uh, but, again, that could easily be flipped around and say, yeah, they could lose all those, all those games too. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because that, that you mentioned that. I didn't even realize that because – that would theoretically mean that those 10 games could be the deciding factor on how that central shakes up and, and who gets that second spot and who maybe even sneaks in as the wild card. Cause like say Milwaukee absolutely ravages the Cardinals. Milwaukee just jumps into a solid hold on the second place spot. They're safely in the playoffs and that could knock St. Louis completely out. And then that could open the door for Cincinnati. If they're, if they play well enough to end the season to maybe sneak into that last wild card. Cause I'm like you, Josh, I'm not sold on the giants being able to hold that eighth spot. I think the most likely change here is uh, somebody overtaking the Giants for that eighth seed. And I agree. I think it's most likely a central team. And now that you mentioned that, Bradley, if either way, if Milwaukee or St. Louis, one of the two, whichever one dominates the other the most in that series, in those 10 games, could theoretically knock the other out and just grab hold of that second spot safely. And that opens the door for Cincinnati as long as they don't suck to maybe overtake the Giants. Um, so that's possible. The hard thing, though, for Cincinnati is Sonny Gray just went on the IL with the back issue. So now you've got to put even more pressure on Castillo and Bauer at the top of that rotation. Uh, so they really need to get hot at the right time. But the interesting thing that I want to point out here is the Seattle Mariners are only a game and a half back of the Astros. They're sitting at third place in the West. Only a game and a half back of the second place Astros. Uh, so theoretically, there's a chance, there's a chance that the Mariners could sneak into the playoffs, but I'm looking at their schedule right now of their remaining games. They have six against Oakland, three against San Diego, three against Houston and two against San Fran. So it's not looking good. If they made the playoffs, they deserve it at that point. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, they, they will have to, they will have to earn it. <laughs> I was going to say, if you, if you want to get in, man, you got to earn it. I mean, you got to take the Suns mentality. Go 8-0 in the bubble. <laughs> and still one, one interest <laughs> One interesting thing, I because I'm looking at the postseason seeds at the moment on MLB.com, the National League, and I, I know this is usually this is usually how it turns out, the National League is usually has more parity, but holy cow, the National League has way more parity right now than the American League. I think every mm-hmm. team except for the Nationals, the D-backs, sorry, Bradley, the Pirates, have a chance at making the playoffs with two weeks left going right now. Like, every team except for those bottom three have a chance at the playoffs at the moment. Meanwhile, you go over to the American League, like, I mean, like, the Mariners, yeah, they're like two and a half, but that, they get that off of the off the second place in the division. Like, no, nobody, nobody's really in the hunt for the wild card at the moment, except for the Yankees and the Indians. And they're both tied at 26 and 21 each. I mean, really... What you're looking at there is, I agree, because I noticed that too, and that's why I, I think we all look at the National League here, because it feels like those eight teams in the AL are basically decided. It's just a seeding discussion at this point, in, unless Seattle can somehow over overcome Houston, you know? But like you mentioned, Josh, yeah, the, the, Ameri- the, the National League, excuse me, is so much more wide open because the Mets still have a chance they, they're, they're right there on the Phillies' heels, only three games behind them. Um, and Philly, Philly's currently sitting at the seventh uh, place. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're the first wild card. You've got Milwaukee and Cincinnati in the central. Uh, Colorado is still still in it. And, you know, you could, you could even make an argument that if Washington or Arizona just dominate these last two weeks, that they could maybe make a slight run at the end uh, as well. It's unlikely, but possible. So there's a lot of 
of opportunity here for teams not in the race in the National League to sneak in. Especially, like like we mentioned, with the St. Louis and Milwaukee having to beat up on each other so much. That opens the door for a team like Cincinnati, hopefully, <laughs> as a Reds fan, if they can play well this, this last uh, two weeks. What's crazy to me, I'm looking at the uh, playoff matchups currently, and maybe this is just a byproduct of the fact that there's so many teams that are still in it or in the playoffs right now. You have only two matchups out of the eight matchups that would currently be playoff um, matchups that are not between teams in the same division, which is kind of weird. Like you don't see that very often in baseball in general, but literally you got the Indians, White Sox, Yankees, Rays, A's, Astros, Dodgers, Giants, Braves, Phillies, Cubs, Cardinals. So if if you've played well against your division all year, let's just say you got a pretty good chance to make it out of the first round. Yeah, actually, as you mentioned that, Bradley, I'm looking at it too, and like the only two that aren't intra-divisional are the 4-5 matchup in each league. It's the the Twins and Blue Jays and Padres and Marlins. Which, Padres and Marlins, that's... I want to see that. That's a weird series. <laughs> which, to be fair, Twins Blue Jays also sounds fun. Yeah, Padres, Marlins, you want to talk about the need for a bubble. I mean, that's literally cross-country. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm glad they're playing in Texas. Like, I know the American League is going to be in California, which I think that's a little unfair for, like, Tampa and and the uh, Blue Jays and stuff like that, and the Yankees and stuff like that, because they got to go cross-country. But uh, I'm, I'm glad the National League's in Texas, because uh, at least that's kind of in the middle a little bit there. Yeah, especially for some of these matchups that are, like you said, like all the way across the country. Um, and it will be interesting to see, you know, if the seeding kind of really changes things up. It looks like most of the top seeds have pretty much been locked up. But again, you know, you could see a lot of things shift around. What's crazy to me, the White Sox now currently at number one in the AL – they're only a game up on the Twins and only four and a half up on the Indians. So you, you have a four and a half game uh, gap between the number one seed and the number eight seed, which clearly means there's going to be some shifting between now and the end of the year. Yeah, There's going to be so much seeding. shifting in the seeds, I feel like. The seeding is going to be so important, uh, especially like in the, in the American League, the seeding is going to be important because, I mean, the Yankees could get their stuff together and take over the Blue Jays, uh, maybe take over the Rays if they get really hot. Uh, the Marlins, the, the Marlins still have a chance of winning the division. They're only three and a half games back at the moment, so the Marlins could win the division. That could screw everything up over in the National League. Uh, it's going to be an interesting two weeks here. Yeah, because I mean, you look at these seeding races. You know, there's so much that can shift. Like you mentioned in the in the AL East, I mean, the Yankees could go anywhere from first to third in that division because they're only four games back of of the Rays. You know, like we mentioned, the same thing in the Central, a four and a half game difference between first and third. I mean. Uh, we look even the Phillies only four games back at the Braves in the NL East. Like they're they're sitting at the seventh seed right now, but if they have a strong run here at the end and the Braves slip up, I mean, it's I know you don't want that, Josh, but it's possible that you could even see the Phillies sneak up and take that division, and that's a jump from seventh to potentially second or third in in the seeding, which is a huge difference. Uh, and even the the central, you know, you got the Cardinals sitting at four back of the Cubs. If they're able to dominate those Brewers and the Cubs slip up, they could win the division. And, and we're looking at uh, the Cardinals taking it instead of the Cubs and the Padres. I know we talk about how dominant these Dodgers are, but the Padres are only two and a half games back. There's still a very possible chance that the Padres could take the NL West. It's going to be so weird if the Padres and White Sox are the two best teams in baseball when it's all said and done, <laughs> divisionally and, and That is very wide. strange. That's crazy. It's very strange. But, you know, I, they, I they deserve it. The Padres are on fire still. Uh, they went 8-2 and two in their last 10, which is insane. I mean, they're actually sneaking – they're actually catching up to the Dodgers, which I, I didn't think would happen because the Dodgers are kind of falling, falling a little bit here. And they, they have a series against each other now. This is going to be the most watched series, I feel like, of the regular season here. The Padres versus the Dodgers here. It's the series that probably decides this division when you really when it's all said and done. Um, because and it's it's you almost feel bad for the Padres in a sense where like they have the second best record in the entire National League right now. So theoretically, based solely on record, they should be the two seed. But because of the way it's set up, because the Dodgers just happen to be in their division, unfortunately for them, if they're not able to overtake the Dodgers they they get stuck with the fourth seed instead which they still would host that first round matchup but you'd much rather be sitting at number one or two as opposed to fourth it doesn't feel like a big difference but it is oh it's a huge difference and shout out to the AL too I mean the NL 
right now, top to bottom, is relatively the same as we've seen in years past. Dodgers, Braves, Cubs, you know, we've seen it the last couple years. Um, but the AL completely changed around. I mean, the Indians, Yankees, and Astros, what we've seen the last few years, they've kind of ran the league. Uh, they're now the seven, eight, the 6, 7, and 8 seeds. And then you get the White Sox, Rays, and A's at 1, 2, and 3. So, you know, we've seen in the, in the past, we always thought the AL would be relatively cut and dry, pretty chalky. Um, the NL is kind of the one we see here where the top three teams kind of are what we kind of expected. And the AL is completely flipped around. So you, you love to see it in a weird year. Yeah. It's almost as if the AL, it, we're starting to see the shift towards the future of that league because the Rays and even the Blue Jays in the East – the Blue Jays are a very young, up-and-coming team, and they're only getting better. So you're looking at the Rays and the Jays there, the the, the White Sox with their a massive offseason and, and the, the young guns they've got there, and the Moneyball A's and what they're doing over there. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Bradley, is that we're seeing that power shift. This is the first year of this power shift in the American League now where the Astros are starting to fall, the, the Indians are starting to fall, and the Yankees – albeit their fall is self-induced because they just underperform and keep getting hurt. But it's almost as if, you know, the, these young guns, these up-and-coming teams are starting to make their presence known. And the other, the, the teams that have been running the league these past however many seasons, they're succumbing to the pressure. They can't keep up. Yeah, you just hope this continues uh, going forward, just not in a weird year. I mean, obviously this is a short sample size. It's great to see that teams can make a big push for this. And you know, I think right now we're seeing with just the amount of teams that are still in it. Um, I, you know, you wonder how this would be replicated over the course of a whole season. But uh, this is kind of making the argument here for this expanded playoffs continuing into the future. I know we're talking like years down the road. Some players have voiced their opinions on the new rules and how they should only be for this shortened season. But the fact we have this many teams in it, like Josh, you rattled off three teams in the NL that are out. That doesn't happen in September ever. So. No, usually, yeah. usually it doesn't. Um, I'm still, I'm still on the fence about the whole number two in the division automatically gets in. I'm, Me I'm too. a little, I'm still on the fence on that part, uh, j- just because it's, it's just strange. Because I was looking at this and I was trying to figure out like who's in, who's out. Like you brought up the Mariners and I was like, oh, the Mariners are still in. Because like I looked at the wild card standings and they're like five games out. I'm like, oh god, it's, it just makes it a little more confusing. But it is a lot of fun to look at though. It, it certainly makes things so much more interesting. It, it, and I think the biggest by reason uh, that we see so many teams still in it right now is because it's such a shortened season. I think the really telltale future of this playoff system would be if they tried it again next year, say we have a full 162 next year, if they tried this again, and seeing how it shapes up in a full 162. Because in a full 162, there's never this many teams in a round, like you said. So it... It almost makes you wonder how different it would be if this was a full season and we still had 16 teams with this exact same system. Um, I, I'd almost want to see that before we talk about whether or not this this sticks around because yeah, it makes for great it makes for a great race right now, obviously. But is it still the same in a full season? You know? Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't really know if it would be. I mean, obviously, you've got such more games to play and probably less teams that are in it, um, so it might make for a more entertaining end of the year, but. This shortened season was the perfect storm for it because you had so many teams with so little games all kind of bunched together. So it's cool to see. You know, again, I'd like to see it for one whole season just to see what it looks like. Uh, But for right now, I mean, this was the perfect way to do it. Yeah, it works out so perfectly for this shortened 60-game sprint because then you get something like the Marlins. Because if you had told me before the season started, even with the shortened season, that the Marlins would be sitting at second place in the East with two weeks left to play, and they're only three and a half games back, I would have called you crazy. That brings up an interesting question, though. I mean, if we played a full 160, which one of these teams would not make the playoffs? If we played a full 160, like because like you you in a full 160, you have teams that play really well in the first 60 games, and then they kind of drop off. I, I think the Marlins are the perfect example of that because I feel like I feel like the Marlins. They have a lot of great young guys, but I feel like that roster is not good enough to be in it after 162 games. Um, I, I'm trying to think of another team like that, but it, I, it's, nothing's really hitting I mean, me. I'm just at, I, you could maybe even I think with that same argument, like you could even say the Blue Jays. I think too, because the Blue Jays are playing really well right now. They're having a great year because that's another team that's really young and up and coming. They're just a couple of steps ahead of the Marlins. 
You could argue that in a full 162 in that division with the Rays and Yankees, with the Yankees having more time to get back healthy again and stuff um, and find grooves that maybe the Blue Jays couldn't keep up as much in a full 162 just yet and that they might still be a, a year or two away. But with what we're seeing in this shortened season is the Blue Jays and the Marlins are kind of running with that young mentality of we're not supposed to be here anyway, so what do we got to lose? And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah, and it gives you more of a chance if you've been hot over the last month to still not be a couple games out when it's all said and done. I mean, you can have teams like the Nationals last year that played horribly for the first third of the year and then get hot the rest of the way and get in. Uh, you get that in a much more uh, larger sample size now with so many teams that are kind of you know right around that 500 mark. Um, and, you know, what for better or for worse, it just provides more – parody. I don't know if you're going to get the best teams overall in the playoffs, but it definitely provides for more entertainment, which we've seen in college basketball. That works to a T. Oh yeah. And when we're talking about baseball, trying to appeal to more people and you know, the MLB playoffs are always spectacular. It's, I argue it's the best playoffs behind hockey, but you know, you talk about a great playoff system like this and a shortened season, more teams, these tight races, and then these interesting series matchups that we're going to get. I mean, as it stands right now, all of these series matchups are intriguing in so many ways to me. And even as these as the seedings shake up and are going to definitely change between now and the end of the uh, season, two weeks from now, we're still in for some great matchups. And I think that that's almost what you need as a, as a first step in trying to, like, appeal to younger generations and grow this game. Yeah, and the more teams you have in it, the more fans you get. So it works out perfectly for both of us. So in some ways, it's kind of a win-win. But we got two weeks left. Definitely a, a lot to change between now and then in this playoff hunt. It's going to be a great two weeks of baseball um, as these teams are jostling for position. The teams on the outside that are just on the cusp, they're trying to take that step and get in. And... uh we could see some ones falling to sevens and, and vice versa. Like it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shapes up. But it's about that time, guys. Let's turn a triple play. Uh, Josh, start us off. What's out number one? All right, so I'm, uh, it's about the no-hitter that happened last night. Um, so there have been two no-hitters in the history of Miller Park, both of them by the Cubs. And one time wasn't even against the Brewers because the Astros used Miller Park as a home as a home stadium after Hurricane Ike hit Houston. So the Cubs got both no hitters for Miller Park. <laughs> and that was back with Carlos Zambrano too, if I'm not mistaken. Which haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my second, I guess, out for the triple play uh, also involves the Cubs. Um, kind of on the. Um, involved in the game yesterday that no one really noticed because we saw Alec Mills just straight dominate. Javier Baez scored on a sack fly from second base yesterday, which, I mean, Baez oh, has wow. always been just kind of an unconventional, very hard-nosed guy that sometimes goes you know against the grain. Um, and yesterday on a sack fly that had him coming from second base, um, he took advantage of no one looking on third and ended up scoring. So got to be careful. Um, never turned your back on the guy. I think they call him El Mago. And, He's definitely earned that nickname for a reason. Uh, but to stay in Chicago, again, uh, the White Sox, first place. Um, again, only only a game up on the Twins and four and a half up on the Indians. But the fact that this team has really, I think, out of nowhere uh, risen up to the occasion and been able to fend off two very legitimate ball clubs right behind them. Um, in a shortened year where you've got you know a lot of divisional games, they've been able to play the best baseball in the Central. And I think this has just shown – that they were not kind of a, a one-hit wonder this year. This is a team, like we've said, that has been developing this for years, and it's all kind of coming together. So I'll be curious to see if they have the same experience the Rays have had the last couple of weeks where we see what they're capable of. They're up, you know, top of the division, and then they kind of get a little bit um, little casual with things. Uh, so the White Sox, I think they're going to benefit from having two teams on their tail and not such a large lead to really not coast into the playoffs and really play their best baseball. So Yeah, uh, for mine – I just looked this up because I was curious because I honestly didn't have one. But um, I found this to be really interesting. I'm looking at Adam Jones is currently playing overseas in Japan this year. Uh, longtime MLB player Adam Jones uh, for the Orioles. Ten home runs so far in Japan this season. He's, he's a double digits over there. 
which I just want to shout him out uh, for a last place Oryx Buffaloes team. He's uh, he's he's got ten home runs, so a, a little bit of a bright spot for a terrible team in Japan. But happy to see Adam Jones finding a, a little bit of success over there. Good for him. Yeah, I know they had him on earlier this year when the Korean League was playing, and they were interviewing him, seeing what it was like to be overseas, and he loved it. He said he was having a blast. So it's mm-hmm. good to hear his uh, his play on the field has been just as uh, entertaining. Yeah, I mean he's only batting two fifty five. But, and that through like 68 games, but still like 10 home runs, you know, 255 average for a guy who's 34 and obviously his last few seasons in the majors, you could see his, his performance starting to dip anyway. Uh, still decent numbers uh, for a guy going over there to such a, a competitive league uh, as, as J- Japan's Nippon League is. Um, and doing that on a team that is dead last in the entire, uh, in the entire 12 team league over there. So Good for him. I'm happy to see him having uh, some su- uh, some success over there in Japan. And uh, makes you wonder: is there is there a chance maybe we see Adam Jones come back for one final tour in America? Um, it's possible. I mean, never say never. I guess. I mean, yeah, you definitely could see it, but I think it mm-hmm. is cool to see him at least find somewhat of a home out there in Japan. And you know, does he want to come back after you know spending all that time overseas and? risk really not having a great year here. Um, I think he's kind of already written his story here in the States. So maybe it would be kind of cool just to finish out his yeah. career and um, with very little pressure and just kind of, you know, enjoy the rest of his, of his baseball career. Yeah. Just having fun over there in Japan, which like you mentioned, Bradley, I saw the same interview too, I believe. And yeah, he said he was having a blast and that was kind of the interesting thing I saw from like all the American players I interviewed who uh, had gone to play over in Korea and in Japan and in Australia is they loved it. They love that experience going to those countries and playing in those leagues and kind of getting that different perspective. Cause it's a vastly different baseball culture as well, as opposed, you know, not just the country culture, but also the baseball culture as well. So um, to see, see that kind of aspect and to see the, the connections that we're starting to see now and these games growing and those leagues getting more attention, I think that's really cool. But alas, that is all we have for you today on the Triple Play Podcast. Guys, as always, thanks for joining me as my lovely co-hosts. We had a blast, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to spend a Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And with that, we will see saying goodbye until next week. Thanks, Bradley and Josh, as always, for being on the show. And thanks to you, our lovely listeners, for devoting an hour of your time to listen to this podcast if you listen to the whole thing. If you made it this far, thank you, legitimately. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next week when we turn yet another triple play. A week left in the season at that point, so things will really be heating up. Should have a lot to discuss. Uh, Until then, guys, enjoy some baseball, and we'll see you next time.